Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Can I tell you how excited I am that you're here? Hey everyone, thank you for coming to Reppin'. I'm Evelyn, your host. I am so excited about my guest today. She is immensely talented, and she's also pretty damn sweet. She is an eight-time Emmy winner. Yeah, count them, eight. From 1986 to 1992, and then again from 2006 to present day, she has been on Days of Our Lives as Kayla Brady and a part of the enduring and iconic story of Steve and Kayla. She, along with co-star and good friend Stephen Nichols, play these beloved characters, winning a stunning list of awards and coverage of them absolutely blanketed magazines and entertainment outlets. Her other credits include General Hospital, This Just In, Chasing Life, As the World Turns, and The Bay. And if that wasn't enough, my guest is also a producer, blogger, and entrepreneur. In 2005, she created a very successful venture called Mary Beth's Apple Pie Company. And in 2015, she went on to launch her own lifestyle blog called Plank. With such a high-profile and celebrated career, you may think you know all there is. Well, think again. Today, we're hanging out and getting real with the incomparable Mary Beth Evans. So I've been working in entertainment as a producer and director for a long time. And one of the great perks of my job is not only do I get the opportunity to do what I love, but I also get the opportunity to meet some really interesting people and people whose work that I've long enjoyed. And you're definitely one of those people. So full disclosure, I grew up watching and loving your work. So this is a full circle moment for me. Thank you so much for being here. You're so kind to reach out. I, I love it. Tell me a little bit about your background, your family life. I know you backpacked through Europe right out of school, like right before you started your acting career. What were some of the early experiences that you had that may have been seminal moments um, where you learned something from it and those lessons are still lessons that you carry with you today? Because your podcast delves deeper, I think, as I have mentioned to you than most interviews, I I was thinking about that. And you know, something I don't really talk about, but I, I always think if I went on like a talking circuit to kids or something, I would say this. My parents were divorced when I was six. We lived with my father, you know, for a couple of years and my mother got custody of us and she went on to remarry a bunch of times. And now to this day, it's seven. It was such a roller coaster of a ride for a, a child. As a child, you think if I just behave and I just do these certain things, that person will stay and love me and that will will be a family. And then that doesn't happen. I didn't realize till I was an adult that 
that influenced my relationships that I had. There was a point when I was about 17. I mean, I was all over on the end of an emotional whip and something happened about a boyfriend that borrowed my car and these weird things happened. And I had this moment in my life that I thought this is not my life. I don't have to live the life that is set out right here. I admit it. I decided I am going to work my butt off. Nobody's going to stop me. I'm going to change my life. And I thank God for that because I didn't hang on to a bunch of resentment. It just flipped. A switch flipped. And I felt it. And I knew that I was going to make a different life for myself. And even when I first started acting, if I didn't get a part, I thought, well, they just didn't see what I have. Then I'm just going to keep on trucking and they're going to they're going to finally see it. But I, I think that about people that you know, you have rough backgrounds or you have different things that happen and you get stuck on a path and it doesn't need to be like that. And I think my whole life has been a hustler and I mean, not in a bad way, but just work really hard. Right. My somebody had just said to me recently about retiring or what I'm like retiring. Like I, that's not even a thought to me about retiring. And I feel like I'll just be, where's the beef grandma and I'll just hustle <laughs> till I drop. Thank God. We want you around. I will know from having three kids, that's a very difficult thing to to teach is to have that in you that you always have to be working. And even though my husband's had a great job, I've always wanted to work because I want to be a contributor. And I, you know, I mean, want to be part of the whole everything. And I think it's kind of cool. My kids have that work ethic. I think it's just, I always feel like I wanted to have a roof over my head. So I need to hustle, hustle, hustle. But my point of even sharing that is your life is not necessarily laid out for you where you can't change it. My background and what I made for myself are very different. I really made a conscious decision to change my life. And I have, you know, a beautiful relationship with my husband that we have worked. I mean, we're happier now than we ever have been. And we are enjoying the fruits of that, which is the, our grandkids now and our, and our kids being successful in their own ways, you know, happy. And I mean, everybody has said that about me that knows my real story that a flip that you know, to make it something completely different than where I came from. I really appreciate you being so open about it. To be able to see the solution, but also to actually make that switch. And at 17 is amazing. I think at 17, I was like trying not to crash the car. No, because at 17, I, like I said, my parents were divorced when I was six. I came to live with her when I was maybe eight and a half or nine and and then the roller coaster, right? So it's already you become an adult. I mean, by sixth, seventh grade, you're already kind of an adult because of everything that you've been going through. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you ask about what's a changing thing, there's that. And when I hear people who get stuck in the, I mean, I know many people my age who are still dragging around their relationships that they have with their, and how it ruins their life still. And I just feel like you don't need to have two bad lives. Like it was bad when you were young, so figure out how to, to flip it. I know so many people who their relationship with their father, mother, whatever, still messes with them because everybody's got their own thing and they can't necessarily, but your life would improve and, and things would get better if you could find a way to, you know, but not everybody can. Yeah, it's really hard, but I think it says a lot about you and your strength, your perspective and your resilience. Using that word, I will say, that I do think that people are born with certain personalities. And I think that I have a very resilient personality. And I think I'm also, and maybe from training as a kid, but I'm very good compartmentalizer. 
and I'm, I wake up happy every single day. So I have those things going for me, but the bummer is that when something kind of bad happens, it's so debilitating for me, but it lasts like 24 hours. And then I, I find a, a little box to shove it in. So I'm not sure that's all healthy, but it works for me. Hey, you know what they say? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Still, I just think the fact that you were able to do what you did at 17 is incredible. I also want you to know, I met my then, so there at 17, at 19, I met my husband who was from the East Coast and was so different than the surfer boys that I was growing up with in Orange County. And he was an adult at 24. I was 19, 24. He was an adult. So he came into my life so young of being this incredibly positive, giving, loving male. I think it kind of balanced my life out. He was this really strong force and beyond loving and demonstrative person that I think that gave me an incredible balance in my life. It seems like you definitely have a very strong foundation with the family that you've built with your husband. I know that you guys have been married for a long time, and that's not to say that you haven't faced your challenges, because like everything in life, it's all ebb and flow, right? But, um, you know, just having followed your career the way I have and doing the research does seem like your family and having your own personal space, you know, away from the cameras has been a real grounding force. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I went on general hospital for, you know, like seven years or something. But um, when I first went there, I had come from days that where I was so in the in crowd, you know, and then I go to general hospital and I'm not in that crowd and I'm an outsider. And there were different forces that made it not so comfortable for me there in the beginning. And I would leave there kind of bummed out and I'd go home and I'd have these sweet little babies there. And I would think like, oh, right. This is my life. This is what's important to me. And I tell my daughter that. I tell my kids that all the time about when they're stressed from school or work or whatever. It's like, but that's not your real life. Your real life is your family and the people who love you and what's happening, what's your foundation. And all of that is like noise and outside stuff. It's interesting too, when I was on days, I think there was a baby shower for Kayla, for Stephanie. And all the women that were on the show, Peggy McKay, you know, whoever, all the different people, nobody had any kids. And I thought that's so interesting. Like I was kind of newer to that. Like it's like people's careers, you know, things kind of got away from them and they didn't have kids. So for me, it was never a question. I didn't think, oh, my figure, which never thought about it. But I was never a thing of, I have to wait to have kids because I have to do this. I never thought that way. We'd been together for like five years, then we were married for a year, and then it was like, well, time to have a baby. So I just never thought twice about it. And my family has always been my foundation. And in fact, I always joked that my kids and everybody thought I worked at a bank. The only thing they ever knew was I'd say like, you guys have to go to bed because I have to learn my dialogue for tomorrow. And back then I could see, so I could put on my steering wheel okay. and kind of drive and look. And I mean, I can't do that now because I can't see. <laughs> and even like the Emmys, I would, you know, I, I feel like kind of embarrassed to take my husband. I'm just kind of, oh, I don't want any attention to me. And and then the year that I take him and I win, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm faithful that you're here. So I always forget. Or or like Stephen and I did a this um, like a staged reading, but we had blocking. But it was so long and we spent like 50 hours rehearsing it. And I kept telling my husband, like, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe come. I don't know if you want. I don't know. And then afterwards, he pulls me aside and goes, what is your problem? Like, I go, well, I have a problem. What do you mean? He goes, this was amazing. You downplay everything. Like, this, is, this isn't this is just a reading. This was it. And I'm like, oh. 
So I have a tendency to just be a housewife. And then there's that other thing I do. I think that's kind of cool. You know, it's such a great perspective to have because, you know, the entertainment industry can be intoxicating. And because of that, you know, you can kind of get lost in it and people lose sight of, you know, life beyond the business. Yeah, that's never been me, ever. I don't think I even had aspirations to, you know, be a superstar. I am I mean, because of that hustler mentality I was talking about, it to me, like to have a regular job, like a bank job, but I get to do acting because I actually have no other skills, right. really, you know. So <laughs> it, this is such a win. And for me, longevity and all that means more to me almost than anything. And I also, at days, love the camaraderie of the people there. I mean, I feel like they're my family. I, they're like my cousins. I've worked with them for 35 years. There's so much about it that I love. Even when I do the Bay, the, you know, I did this uh, web series, the Bay, they're always asking me to go to, you know, red carpets or to do this. I have no interest. I know all the young people who love these red carpets. I have no interest. So don't even ask me because I just feel bad about saying no. So I've never been a Hollywood party person. I've never done it. I've never schmoozed. I've never done anything like that. I mean, really, honestly, that's one thing I like about soaps, too, is it's generally family people. I mean, all the people that have stayed a long time have wanted to support their families and have a regular life. But those are the things that really count, right? Longevity and balance. But, you know, there is a level of expectation and imagery that comes with working in entertainment. And I'll be honest, in my 20s, you know, that's what I wanted because, you know, it looked awesome. And I thought that was a life you were supposed to lead. But as I get older and with life experience, it was important for me to simplify things and to try to live the most authentic life. So my core group of friends are from childhood, from kindergarten, from high school, and most of them don't even own televisions. So when I'm not working, I'm not working. You know, it's interesting to say that I, uh, well, also like I, I live a life mentally, like I work at a bank, like I don't think of myself. <laughs> in that. And I'm always a little surprised that people are staring at you think like, is it some, and, oh, right, they, maybe they recognize you. But I, I have, three super close friends and they've been my friends since high school. And those are the people that I hang with now. Exactly. And like all those days, friends are my super friends. Last year, I had a big Christmas party for and had them all here. Oh, that's great. And I said to my husband, I go, you know, I love these people. I see these people all the time for 35 years and I never do anything socially with them. So it was super fun. And after party anyway, which I've never had, you know, everybody broke out singing and carols and piano. It was super fun. But I don't really do any of that. Well, understandably, I mean, you see so much of them at work. It's important to kind of, you know, see other people get your head in a different space. And it doesn't sort of diminish your relationship with them. That's what's kind of sweet. Everybody like that. They were so pretty. They just loved getting together. It was really great. Now, you've been on days since 1986 with some breaks in between. And you've been a part of this, you know, incredible and enduring story of Steve and Kayla, a story that we continue to love. And you and Steven Nichols, your longtime co-star and friend, are so great. You guys act your asses off. And shooting at the very fast pace that you do, it's really hard to do it and at that caliber consistently. I don't know how you guys do it. So it's pretty clear that you guys work so hard. I think for us, one, we're very good friends. That's really helpful. He'll call me and just say, I just miss you. I just want to hear your voice. He's just so sweet. And we really trust each other and know each other so well. So we work well together. And how they reinvented, like this whole story that just went on with uh, Justin character. And when we all first read it, we're just like, oh, 
God, nobody's gonna like this. <laughs> and and Wally, you know, who plays Justin, he kept saying like, "Oh, I I'm the underdog here. This is never gonna work." You know, and it actually ended up being really sweet. And we really tried to just say, you know, if you're in these circumstances and you have an old friend and your husband now has ditched you, doesn't want you anymore, this could easily happen. And I really wanted to commit to that. You know, where. I mean, I always think, oh, nobody's going to ever want me to ever be with anybody else, which they don't. But this is true. What fans and viewers have to always understand is that they they, they keep trying to reinvent to have us reunite. And so whatever the vehicle is to that, you know, you hope people are supportive. But I know that a lot of people talk in social media and I don't actually read it and don't pay attention to it. But I do know that there's chatter and people get so upset. And I, And I did say at one point, like, Go along for the ride. Absolutely. I mean, the reality is that if your characters are happy, there is no conflict. There is no drama. There is no story. Right. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. When you sort of take a step back and you take in, you know, your time on days, your friendship with Steven, the work that you guys have done together, being a part of this iconic story. And, you know, there was just tremendous fanfare that surrounded you guys. I mean, you guys were on like every magazine cover. You guys have won a ton of different awards, deservedly so. There was just tremendous excitement, interest, and coverage uh, of you guys. When you take a step back and you look at all of that, what do you take away? I just remembered this because my husband's cousin is a, is a director on a series right now. My daughter and I were going through all these photos and there was this picture of him. He's in this director's chair and behind him are my daytime TV magazine awards are on the wall. And so I was looking at that going, that's so funny. And I remember when they would come and give us the awards at the studio, taking the picture of us with these awards. And I remember just a little tiny in the back of my mind thinking like, 
I should really appreciate this moment. But, you know, I have to say it's always been so frantic. I mean, during all that time I was having kids and juggling these little kids and all that dialogue and this job. And you get so caught up in the moment that you're living that you don't see it. I think we were just so involved in the moment. You know, I love it. And like, I love that I want to Emmy and, that, and whatever. And that's all great. But I, I, I'm a very, like I said, a compartmentalizer person. I'm very much present in the day I'm in. And my mother-in-law says that's a gift. There's a lot to do each day. Yeah. Also, you know, the one thing I don't think people realize, we work in like a warehouse, you know, in a studio. We see these same people for 100 years. Right. You're almost surprised that you're on a magazine cover. So it's like, it almost doesn't relate that this is put out in the public. But I think it's great that you guys were able to navigate like all of that attention and all of that frenzy because it can be so overwhelming. But I thought another interesting thing was that you referred to yourself as a hustler. You've won a ton of Emmys, so there's that. Uh, you've also been a producer. You've also successfully sold apple pies, which, by the way, I envy you because I can't cook or bake. I actually ended up in urgent care because of an incident with a fruit peeler. <laughs> Those things are not my friends. Yeah, I know. I just bought a new knife and I cut my hand. Oh, so you know. Yeah, okay, yeah. see, see this. Yeah. Oh, I have all those. I have a million scars from um, cookie sheets. Oh, yeah. Same. But at least you're able to make good stuff. Well, you know, the pie thing was my husband's family, his mother had given me a recipe and I had kind of, I kept really because I'm not an exact baker. I added more of this and that and whatever. And it became this other pie and it was really good. And my husband read an article in the Wall Street Journal about mail order apple pies. This was like in 2005 or something. And he was like, you should do this. I go, oh my God, but what if anybody ever ordered one? What would you do? And he was like, well, that'd be a good thing. And I felt like I had said a million times, like, I'm going to open a shop. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I could. So I started by just with a friend coming up with a, like a logo. And then I worked with another friend and we wrote my little story. And oh, I sent them out to like all the private school moms in my area. And I got, you know, quite a lot of orders. And so then I put like a little blurb and soap opera digest about it. So I got a ton of orders and we were just making them from my house. <laughs> Oh my God. But you would get like a huge pie frozen. Like like I made it here in my kitchen and put it in the freezer and sent it to you. <laughs> it was problematic by dry ice and stuff like that. But then, and then somebody said, you should take it to the fancy food show. So I was like, oh, okay. And then my husband was like, say yes to everything. So what happened when you did? QVC, I sold 3,007 minutes on QVC. That's amazing. And by then QVC had found me somebody to make them for me. And then I came up with this cute little idea in a brioche cup, little um, apple pies and pumpkin pies. And I sent them to Williams-Sonoma on a whim. And they were like, these are great. Let's do it. And I could never, I mean, I never made any money, but I was like their number one seller. That's awesome. After a while, my husband's like, how much do you want to keep losing on your pie business? So I'm like, yeah. Yeah. But still, it was a hugely successful run. And then you jumped from there to blogging. You have this great blog called Plank. I did 150, I think, entries. And I found that what I, what I care about and what I want to write about a lot was endlessly reinventing your life and choose happiness and kindness over other things. Like even now, like I said, I don't read people's comments because when there is a bad comment or whatever, I really feel like taking my toys and going home because I really feel like people who are in public eye and you put yourself out there and, and you know, people want you to share some personal stuff and maybe my happy laughing uh, grandson makes people happy. And, but then when somebody says something bad, you're thinking, but 
I mean, are you are you equally sharing? You're you're at home in the privacy of your home, spewing out junk from your computer anonymously, and I think that's unfair. Like my grandmother, honestly, as basic as my grandmother said, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything. I don't know why people go out of their way to say mean things. It makes no sense to me, and I don't go out of my way to say mean things to people, and I don't. I don't want to hurt people. Yeah, I don't understand that or why people go out of their way to be judgmental too. And yeah, and from the privacy of your home to public people. And if you were to say, okay, then I'm not sharing anything and I won't do that, they're not going to like that either. So I don't understand that balance. I just try to, you know, keep it light. In that blog, I wrote so much about that. And and, and after a while, I felt like I was kind of saying the same theme because that is my theme. That is my through line in life. And when people are my age say, I'm just so tired. I, that didn't work out. I'm so tired. I don't want to do it again. Or I'm, I just feel like, well, you only get one life shot here. So you got to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and go forth. And in fact, going back to that mother who had been married many times, one husband died. And she said, I, you know, he just, spoiled me. He brought me breakfast in bed every day. He did all these things. And how will I, this and I'm like, I go, well, how about you change the way you think about it? And you say, how blessed was I that I had that time and I was treated like a princess and that was super great. But now I am where I'm at. So what am I going to do now? I need to pick myself up by my bootstraps and I need to go forward and make a new life. I think it's a hard lesson though. And you're laying it out in this really great way that your life for the most part it's about choice. It's a choice to be positive. It's a choice to be kind. But seeing that and then making that choice is, I think, where people kind of get hung up on. And I really respect that you also understand that, you know, not everybody has the same DNA that you do. But it is great that you're leading by example. That's all I can do because I don't because I don't have that personality. But you know what? Three or four people in my life are are not like this, that I spend a lot of time pep talking. And then I think, well, maybe that's part of what I'm here for, too, is to be that person who pep talks and tries to help them see that there's brightness. I, I would like to leave this earth with no regrets. I, in fact, when when people tell me about regrets, and I'm just like, what? It's just a it's just a, it's just a wasted energy in my book because it happened already. And if you think about a past experience, it was a day or a month or whatever it was. But in two seconds, it's history. But I did my best regrets are of something that happened already that you can't do anything about. So the only thing, and this is the thing about rough childhood versus your adult life too. What you can control is being different. What I control, I can control being a a good parent. I can control being a better wife. I can control my response to things. I can't control what happened in the past because it already happened. And a lot of it, I was a kid too. So there was very little control, but I think what we can, con- I don't even know if control is the right word. I think it's a fair word. A path to be be better, be, live a better, more authentic life and be honest. I used to say to my, my oldest son, who was kind of like a dentist, the menace, I said, you know what? I've really worked hard to live a good life. I have never had gone to jail. I've never been arrested. I Don't take me down. But I, mean, I really tried to live an honest, good life with good intentions and not to not to hurt people and to uplift people. Yeah, it's a great way to go. I mean, why would you want to do it any other way? So when you started your blog, Plank, which I know was inspired by your daughter, right? it was to share inspiration and positivity. But sometimes when you do projects or make the effort to you know, do good things, 
you sometimes get something back that may help you with your own experience. Um, what surprised you when you started this blog and what did you get back? I would try to put out on Thursdays and everybody would send me things saying, I'm, I'm so looking forward to my Thursday. I need my Thursday kindness hit. And you know, interesting when I talk about people not saying mean things or people saying mean things, there was one uh, photo that I posted on Instagram once that was my daughter had taken this and she had sort of a, a bluish green nail polish on. And then there was a succulent uh, beyond the polish and they were like the same color and the picture of the yard. And she just made this kind of artsy, pretty picture. And I posted it. I, you know, I didn't think one thing about it. And somebody wrote, and then, I mean, somebody told me that the person wrote it because I don't read them. And they said something like how inappropriate of me at my age to wear that kind of color polish or something like this, which then of course I felt like taking my toys and closing the Instagram, whatever. But I did write a whole thing about uh, that in my plane, just about kindness and why people, like we just talked about, would say mean things and do that and whatever. And so then I had a luncheon with some fans from the show. They were all wearing that color polish. And it became sort of a movement and kindness is, that hashtag kindness is, and all these different things. That was cool that I felt like I was making some kind of impact on people trying to just like, like my grandma, you know, just if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it and be kind. Right? It's not that hard to be nice. I find it uh, shocking that that's not people's first thought because I cook and I give all my little tidbits of advice and I would be somewhere and see like the whole family on cell phones, the table, not talking. And I wrote one thing called like, you know, whatever happened to crayons? Like just try to keep life a little simpler. And then a really cool thing also that blossomed out of Days of Our Lives is they did a, a dual app and we did a whole MB's Kitchen. I don't know if you had this dual app. I'll get it after. And we did a whole MB's Kitchen cooking show, which is super fun. Like now I'm ready to go on like Food Network or something. And and that just having people over and, and having fun and just sharing in the goodness and and trying to look at the positive. That's the thing too. I think that any situation, you have a, a choice. Seriously. Look at the positive or look at the negative. And I generally, I wouldn't go so far as Pollyanna. I don't think I'm Pollyanna, but I certainly look at the positive. Sometime I think my husband would say like, how can I not see that that's not the reality or something? But I always joke like he's from New Jersey and I'm from Orange County where Disneyland is from. So <laughs> we see things a little differently. You know what I mean? But somehow it works. It totally works. Now, you also do some incredible work with an organization called CASA. And in one of your video blog entries, you told the story about how you were working with this child that was in CASA. And an attorney came in and was sort of like, oh, this child is a real piece of work or a pain in the butt. And you really stepped up and really defended this kid. So can you first set up what CASA is and also talk about the importance of stepping up for this child? Because you know what was really cool? It was not just your, you know, compassion for this child, but your ability to see that his behavior was a manifestation of, you know, the hardships that he has gone through and that you were able to see beyond what was, you know, immediately in front of you. And you came forward and backed him. So can you first set up what CASA is and then also talk about the importance of stepping up and then also having the ability to see beyond the surface what CASA is, is it's a, a court-appointed special advocate. And there are kids in the foster care system that get sort of put in this, a, a judge will say, this kid needs a special attention. Let's try to get him a CASA. 
there's not nearly enough process. And it's a national thing. They're in every state. So they will give you a case. I mean, you have to go through training and whatever, and you get sworn in by a judge and they'll give you a case and you visit this child, you interview different people in his life and you figure out what's going on with them. When I first took the training and had to write the first report, I was at my dining room table. You know, I mean, I just went to high school. I did not go to college and I had, you know, all these books and papers. I was there for like three days and my daughter and my husband who were both, you know, my daughter's orthodontist, my husband's a doctor and they, you know, they kept walking by going, for you, you'll be okay. You'll get it. You know, whatever. But um, once you figure it out, actually, the reports are very easy to do. The thing about it is if you meet these kids, especially kids who end up in group homes, it is so, so difficult. And they get shuffled around with their trash bag of their things and things get stolen. It's so, so rough. And a lot of people who are assigned to them, social workers or lawyers, whatever, they see them for a sec and they like that, like that guy, you know, he assessed them as being difficult, whatever, because he goes and talks to him. And the kid's angry. He was taken away from his mom young and just so many things. He's just angry. And if you get to know them, I mean, I spent a lot of time that particular summer with that kid. I got him signed up for basketball camp. Nobody would drive him. The group home wouldn't drive him. So I went and picked him up and took him to the camp. And, and even in the very beginning, I went over to his house, the group home, and thought, I'll take him to a pool and we'll go swimming. He didn't want to go and he was being all sassy with me. And I was there in my total. I, I like wear like a swim costume. Like I got my board shorts <laughs> ready to go and he won't go. And it was only because another kid in the group home was like, I'll go. I'd love to go. Let me go. And then he was like, okay, well, yeah, I'll go. You know? I spent a whole summer building his trust and then really fighting to get him back with his mom. At 12 or 13 years old, he was still, he was angry and in a group home funny because in the beginning when he would never look at me at the end the very end he got back with his parents and I went to visit him one more time and bring him some clothes and you know I always bought him gifts and we met up I think at a 7-eleven he came and sat in my car he was so gregarious and happy and laughing and giving me a hard time and stuff and I just thought how great like what a transformation from the guy that I had met that wouldn't even give me eye contact that's so awesome and then another kid that I had was placed with his great uncle, who was the guy was such an advocate for this kid. And it was just such a great situation. And now, actually, I'm also every year I, I give I give a lunches. I mean, it sounds so silly. And when they ask me, I, I give them like lunches with me in the auction and they've gone for quite a bit of money and we've raised a lot of money. They even honored me one year and I got like a whole declaration from the you know, city of Los Angeles. I'm like, but it was cool because I, I wrote a really good speech and my kids were there and they're really proud of me. And it was really like giving back and swell. So even if I don't have time because my workload's a lot and I, don't, I, I can't uh, take on the commitment of a child, I raise money for them. Somehow, however, I can help. It's great that you make a point of doing that. But a lot of people are still very quick to pass judgment. You didn't do that. Yeah. But you know, well, you also in your training, they work a lot about that. Like this in particular sticks out with me. They gave us this drawing and it was this apartment where total mess everywhere. The mom's on the couch smoking a cigarette. The baby's on the floor. The dad is coming in. He has a lunchbox. The kid is, you know, reaching up. There's bags of groceries on the counter, but the whole place is a disaster. And you look at this and they, they said, okay, look at this picture. And what do you see? And I showed it to my brother home and I showed it to my kids and everybody kind of said the same thing. Well, yee, disaster. Yikes. But actually the mother is watching the baby. 
The dad has his lunchbox. He's probably coming from work. The children are reaching up to him. They are attached to him. There are groceries sitting on the counter. So it's really about looking at these things differently. I think that's awesome that you have that perspective. Now, you have all these amazing avenues that you're sort of involved in from your, you know, fans and work from Days of Our Lives and really all of your on-screen work. Then you've got all your work with Casa. You've got Plank. So you have all of these different um, outlets and avenues. Can you tell me a moment where it hit you that you actually realized that you made an impact? I think it was with that particular boy. It's interesting because judges actually, at least in LA County, they take that CASA letter as gold because you are the eyes and ears for the judge because they're the social workers, the attorneys, everybody's spending two seconds with him. But the CASA person is actually getting to know every person that's involved in this child's life and this child. And when you sit at the table, it's you and the child. That whole thing that he got back with his family after, you know, the couple of years I was with him or a year and a half or whatever, I felt was like, okay, that changed someone's life. And I hope that through Plank and through these different avenues that, that people take a little thread of that. I mean, people have said that I have made an impact. I hope I don't, I don't do it to do that. I, I, I mean, I, I hope that would be, I mean, I would love that. That'd be great if it made an impact on people's lives. I think it's pretty clear, especially based on this conversation, that you don't do things just to do it, that you don't do it for impact or for credit. Well, I mean, it's from my heart, but I do it to put it out there. And then I guess I, 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 don't, I don't anticipate what the outcome will be, I suppose. Yeah, you do it for genuine reasons. You do it because you want to do it and you do it because it's the right thing to do. I think, I think kindness works. So. Through this conversation, we've touched on a lot of themes. We've talked about choice, resilience, being a hustler, being positive. But one thing that I do want to get to is that, you know, you have gone from being a tremendously successful actress, producer, um, you've sold successfully uh, a ton of pies. Where does this hunger to learn and to evolve come from? I mean, one of my biggest things is reinvention. I say that to people all the time about reinvention. But also, I'm curious. In 1990, I bought the Martha Stewart Christmas book. I got a hot glue gun and I glued hazelnuts to ball. And I mean, I glued everything. Oh, boy. And gumdrops to make my Christmas tree, whatever. I was so into this and my family was more t-shirts or, you know, whatever. But I said to them, you know what? And this, this year we're going to dress for Christmas dinner. Everybody's going to dress up. So we can, we can open presents and casual wear, but we're going to dress up. And, and anybody that brings a dessert needs to bring a homemade dessert. And I... I just wanted to up the game a little bit. I always took a little bit of Martha Stewart. I did never felt like I, I had to be her, but I just thought you can make it nicer. Forever, my girlfriend and I did Christmas Eve dinner for our families, which was a big crowd. But we had set beautiful tables and beautiful food, everything. We just thought this is part of our gift to our family. And we upped the game for everybody. And a few years back, uh, my husband gave me a week at Cordon Bleu cooking school because he knew that I would love something like that as a present. And and I've taken so many craft classes. Or my daughter went to France, and she brought back some macaroons. They were so beautiful. And then Martha Stewart Magazine came out with macaroons on the front. I thought, I'm going to do that. Well, they were so horrible. So then my husband and I actually were went to France. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to see if there's a cooking school to make these macaroons. And I made them. They were great. I come back here. They don't, they're not good anymore still. Like I take another class to, in, in LA to make them. I finally mastered them. I'm like, okay, I'm not making these. Those are awesome, but they look like really hard to make. 
It's all in the barely folding, like you're you're adding air, and that's the trick. But but they're complicated. But I'm a kind of a crafter. Like I love. I mean, I'm a big gardener. I'm always like just being craftier. And I think that maybe if you're a sort of artistic person and creative person, you need outlets. For people who are still struggling to make that choice, a choice to change their lives, a choice to be positive, a choice to be kind, to not pass judgment. Um, you know, the key word here is, is choice. Um, what would your advice be to help them get over that hump and to make that choice? I think it's just a, a conscious thing. Like now I've been lucky because I have this new grandson that lives close during this COVID. So I see him all the time. So if my life is so busy and outwardly giving, I'm not so focused on myself. We can all get these wheels spinning in our mind and the negative energy and the negative thoughts. And and if we're busier and we're doing something that's pushing out goodness, it kind of pushes all that away to some degree. But like I'm saying, I'm coming from a place of a happy, resilient personality and not everybody has that. Somebody once told me that when you, this sounds like goofy, but when negative thoughts come in your head or some ruminating thing you're on, almost see a stop sign just pop up and take the side road. And then two seconds later, that thought may come again, pop up the stop sign and take a turn and just keep taking a turn. And and if a day is too open and you're feeling anxious and do crazy, get out a piece of paper and write down, you know, a bunch of activities you're going to do so that you don't even have time in that day to finish those activities. And sooner or later, you start feeling better. Yeah. And, and by doing that, you're, you're being more productive and maybe you can even do things to help others. Here's a big deal too. I've talked about this a lot with different people is if you blame people for anything, the misfortunes in your life, why you're like you are, why this is not happening, why you didn't get that job, why you didn't da 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 Blame, I think, is one of the most debilitating problems. Like when you take responsibility for it and make active changes, you empower yourself. I think when you blame, you actually uh, lose your power and you become a victim. And then you have a victim mentality and a victim feelings, which are terrible feelings. And when you actually empower yourself with taking responsibility and making changes in your life, things change. I think things change and your attitude changes and you stand up taller and you walk forward. And what a great way to turn things around and really only good will come from that. So Mary Beth, I'd love to keep you, but sign us off. Let us know who you are and what you represent. I'm Mary Beth Evans, and I represent putting forth kindness in all aspects of your life. With great gratitude and love to Mary Beth Evans for being a guest, for being so generous with her time, and for sharing so much of herself with all of us. Be sure to follow her on social media. Links are provided in the episode description. We'll be taking a break for the holidays, so it's a good time to binge on Reppin, because we've had the privilege of having some awesome guests, like John Huertas from This Is Us and Castle, to the New York Times bestselling author, Angie Thomas of The Hate You Give, Makti Skeshavaritz, founder of The Make Agency, a strategic media and public relations firm, Artie Sequera from The Food Network, Osric Chow from Supernatural, to Jamie Margolin, founder of the youth climate action organization called Zero Hour. They're all sharing their personal stories with you because representation or reppin isn't just about race, gender, and orientation. It's also about courage, smarts, grit, empowerment, love, 
and so much more. Repin is an effort to make a positive contribution, to inspire, and to uplift. So don't miss one episode. See who these notable people really are, what they show up for, and what they represent. Help us pay it forward. Share Repin with your friends, subscribe, and leave a review. And tweet me at Repin Podcast and follow me on Instagram at Repin underscore podcast. Thanks always to Nelson Pinheiro, my musical composer and technical director, for all of his time, talent, and care. Love and thanks always to Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. With the holidays right around the corner, thank you to the listeners for being with us. Wishing you and yours a very safe, healthy, and happy Thanksgiving. Please, take care of yourself and each other. Until next time, be sure to stand up and represent. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.